The epistle reading is from James 5, chapters 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who, those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospels according to St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Burl Ives' classic song always puts a smile on my face. You know the one. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Well, I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Remember that one? It always puts a smile on my face, as I said. It really is a festive time of the year. There's jovial Christmas parties. Holiday jingles fill the malls. There's the excited chatter of children as they wait in line to visit with Santa Claus. There's generous donors that are contributing to charities. And the list goes on and on. It's a holly jolly season, isn't it? What makes it a holly jolly Advent and Christmas for you? Well, before you answer that question, listen to the words of St. Paul from Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. St. Paul is having a holly jolly time, which is really quite peculiar when we consider the circumstances that Paul is experiencing as he writes this letter to the Philippians, this letter which is known as his epistle of joy. He was under house arrest in Rome. He wasn't free to roam and share the gospel as he had been in the past. If anyone had reason to be depressed or despondent and even despairing, it was St. Paul. And yet, St. Paul is having a holly jolly season. And maybe, if you're not feeling quite like having a holly jolly season right now, maybe we need to explore a little bit the words of St. Paul in our text, and maybe his spirit of joy will rub off on you and me. So let's look at the text. What is the source of Paul's joy? He says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from this time, from the very first day until now. Paul had a very special relationship with the Christians in Philippi, or at least with many of them. In some cases, he was their spiritual father. If we were to look back at Acts chapter 16, we'd see that Paul had entered into the area or the, sea, or the city of Philippi. And there he had met a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth. And Lydia, after hearing Paul preach about Jesus Christ, asked if she might be baptized. And so Paul had the privilege of baptizing Lydia and her whole household. She was the first convert, if you will, in Europe. He was her spiritual father. Then there's the slave girl, again, going back to Acts 16. The slave girl had a demon, and this demon gave her the ability to be able to tell people's fortunes. <laughs> her owners were making a bundle off of her. But as Paul and Silas and others were wandering through the streets of Philippi, she would bother them. She kept following them day after day, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Well, she was so persistent and so maybe annoying, I don't know. But certainly Paul's heart went out to this young slave girl. He was bothered by the fact that she was demon-possessed. And finally, we're told in Acts 16, he turns to the spirit who's overtaken this young girl. He turns to the spirit and he says to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that very moment, 
the spirit left her. I think this slave girl was one of the members of the church in Philippi to whom Paul is writing. He was her spiritual father. Then, of course, there's the jailer of Philippi as well. Paul and Silas have been put in jail. And while they were in jail, instead of bemoaning the fact that they were in jail, they were singing hymns and they were praying to God and they were testifying of of Christ's love and faithfulness and telling the other inmates of all that had been accomplished in Christ. And then there was like this earthquake and the gates or the doors, the jail opened up and the jailer woke up from his sleep and he looked and he saw that the, the gates were open and he thought, oh my word, all of the inmates have escaped. I'm going to die or I should kill myself because I'm going to be executed anyways for letting them all escape. And just as he was about to end his own life, Paul calls out, don't do it. We're here. We're all here. And the jailer, we're told in Acts 16, got down on his hands and his, and his knees and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your whole household will be saved. And the jailer and his household were baptized that night. Paul was their spiritual father. These are some of the faces that Paul is thinking about or visioning when he writes this letter of joy. And he says, I always pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from this time, from the very first day even till now. He truly loved these people. He rejoiced in these people. These were people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ through his missionary efforts. And Paul's affection was reciprocated by the members of the church in Philippi. For they cared about him and they supported his ministry. We're told that they supported Paul's ministry by providing him with financial resources. They lifted Paul up into prayer. And in this occasion, they even sent a man named Epaphroditus to take care of Paul's needs. And as an aside, if you want to know more about Epaphroditus, ask Mike. We studied Epaphroditus in our home Bible study group on Wednesday nights, and he became an expert in that. I think I've even heard there's a YouTube video of him explaining to us who Epaphroditus is. I make a joke. That's not a joke. He really does know. But Epaphroditus was a very important man, for he was sent from the church in Philippi to Rome to encourage Paul. You see, there was this mutual and reciprocal love that they had for one another. They truly rejoiced. Paul rejoiced in them, and they rejoiced in Paul and the opportunity that they had to minister to support him in his missionary endeavors. And this is why Paul could have a holly jolly season, even in the midst of his struggles. The National Science Foundation reported in its general social survey, that unprecedented number of Americans are lonely. The study looked at 1,500 people, face-to-face -face interviews, and more than a quarter, one in four respondents, said that they have no one with whom they can talk about their personal troubles or triumphs. And if members of family are not counted, the number doubles to more than half of Americans who have no one outside of their immediate family with whom they can share their confidences. It's sad, isn't it?
that so many people live such lonely lives. But even many Christians, fellow members of our own congregation, share this loneliness. Sometimes this loneliness is self-induced because they isolate themselves from the other Christians or even other members of the congregation. But other times their loneliness stems from being maybe homebound, desiring to be out and amongst God's people, but unable to do so. Maybe there is a relational deterioration that is taking place either in their family life or even in their church life, and they don't feel comfortable hanging around with fellow believers in Christ. Sometimes there's the emotional challenges, the highs and the lows of life, and oftentimes when we experience the lows of life, we tend to withdraw and isolate ourselves from the very people that can help us. And then, of course, there's also the losses in life that we experience. And certainly during the season of Advent and Christmas, those losses in life can be so much more accentuated because we're missing those people that we love so dearly and wish they could be with us. Might there be sisters and brothers in Christ, even gathering here in this worship place today, who are experiencing a sense of this loneliness, even though they're surrounded by all of us? Might there be congregants who are not here in this place that are also experiencing loneliness? The case study would suggest that there are people among us who are extremely lonely in need for us to reach out to them in love and care. Now, this doesn't mean that we should walk around the church after the service and go, Hi, I'm Pastor Schaefer. Are you lonely? No, we don't want to do that. But just stop and think for a moment of people that you might know who are experiencing this deep sense of loneliness. Maybe it's a fellow member. Maybe it's a brother or sister, a mom or a dad. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a classmate. But think about these people and say, God, help me see these people in my life. And then take steps to reach out to them, to share the love of Christ through your words and your deeds. And how might you do that? Well, it might start by, first of all, yes, identifying someone in your mind who you think might be lonely or who you know to be lonely, who might be struggling with something in their life. And then it goes on to praying for them. And then it goes on to approaching them and maybe with a telephone call just to check in to see how they're doing. Maybe it's even going and visiting somebody that's homebound or sick. Maybe it's taking a meal to them. Maybe it's sending them a Christmas card. Maybe it's just inviting them out for a cup of coffee or tea. But it's us taking the initiative and rejoicing in the partnership that we have, the relationship we have with them through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And those of you who may be lonely, and those of us who are lonely, maybe might I encourage us all to take a little initiative to come out of our shell, so to speak, 
to fight back against that sense of loneliness that causes us to isolate ourselves from others and instead to take the initiative to join a group like Friends in Faith or Dorcas or Elder Mel or, the, or attend a men's breakfast or something else or look around for someone else who shares a common interest with you and invite them to participate with you in that. But the Lord has given us a wonderful group of family of faith here in which we can truly rejoice in the partnership that we have in the gospel. And he's put us together so we can encourage one another, so we can support one another, so we can care and love one another. And as we do so, we'll have reason to have a holly jolly season. For we'll be celebrating and working together as the partners in the gospel that we are in Christ. A second reason for Paul's joy is, is, as he writes, that he is confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the t- until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's joy flows from the fact that he knows that the Lord is faithful and that the Lord in his faithfulness will complete that which the Lord began in their lives. And that which began in their lives was the fact that God, through his, the Holy Spirit, brought the people to faith in Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned before, Paul witnessed many of this beginning of the, their faith life, for he was the one baptizing them. He was right there when the Lord began this good work in them. And so he can remember those days when he poured the water over Lydia's head and all of her family, and he baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And on that day, the good work of the Lord began. He can think of that day that he cast out that demon and that slave girl, and the good work of the Lord began. He can think of the fact that he baptized the jailer and his family, his whole family. He can think of all of these moments, and that's when the good Lord began his good work. And Paul is absolutely convinced that God who brought, this, brought them to faith will continue to keep them in the faith, that he'll continue to love and forgive them and sustain them in their faith until that day they finally cross the finish line and they're received into the glories of heaven. And that causes Paul to just be filled with joy. And that's our source of joy too that he who began a good work in us will complete it. He who came to you in the waters of holy baptism and brought you to faith in Christ Jesus, he who began that good work in you will bring it to completion. He is the one who has been walking with you day by day by day, lifting you up and sustaining you in your faith through his word and through the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ by coming to the Lord's table and receiving the body and blood of Jesus for that strengthening of your faith. He who began that good work in you continues to do that good work in you and he will bring it to completion, Paul says. Absolutely certain. He will bring it to completion and you will be received into the glories of heaven. That's reason to have a holy jolly season, isn't it? But not only that, Paul says that we can have a holly jolly season because not only is he doing that in us, in me personally, but he's doing it in you. And he's doing it in countless Christians all around this world as he who began a good work in them continues to bring it to completion. And 
and he will continue to do so, continue to bring people to faith in Christ. He'll continue to wash away their sins. He will continue to absolve them of those trespasses that they commit. He will continue to hold before their eyes the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And he will continue to be with them on their deathbeds, holding the vision of a resurrected Christ before their eyes, assuring them even in death, there's life. And as we look around and we see all of these brothers and sisters in Christ who are also in possession of the greatest gift of all, their salvation in Jesus, they can tru- we can truly have a holly jolly Advent and Christmas. There's a third reason why Paul is rejoicing or filled with joy. And then is that he has the opportunity, the privilege of being able to pray with joy on behalf of his brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, sometimes when people, well, a common question is often asked, and it's often asked of me is, what do you want for Christmas? And aside maybe from saying at one point in my life I wanted my two front teeth, The reality is, is oftentimes I've said, I don't want anything for Christmas. I've got it all. But as I was preparing this sermon and looking at this text, I began to realize that that's not really true. I do need Christmas gifts. I need the Christmas gift that God gives me. And Paul talks about that Christmas gift in our text when he says, for the Philippian Christians, he says, and he says it for you and me. He says, this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There really is joy in being able to pray for the spiritual being of not only yourself, but for other people as well. And in this prayer that's recorded in our text, Paul is praying for those Philippian Christians who who he so dearly loves. This Philippian Christians in whom he knows that God is doing this good work and who will bring it to completion. But he still prays, he says, that their love may, he prays, may your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He prays that their love for God would increase. He prays that their love for their Savior would increase. He prays that their love for the good creation in which God has placed them would increase. He prays that their love for each other would increase as they grow in the depth of the knowledge and the insight of God's love for them. Real love requires growth and maturation. Real love requires growth and maturation. And so he prays for the Philippian Christians, I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to study the scriptures. I want you to inwardly digest them. I want you to make them your own. And as you make them your own, the God of love will fill your heart with love and care for yourself and for others. And you will truly have a love for God and for each other, for his creation and for your Savior. And then he says, and I also pray that you have the ability to discern moral from immoral, from impure to pure, so that you're blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. 
Yes, he trusts that the Lord will bring the people to completion, their salvation. But he still continues to pray, Lord, don't let them become deceived. Don't let them to be, lose their focus on what is truly the treasures of life. Help them, Lord, not to be tempted away from you by the treasures and the riches of this world. Help them, Lord, not to turn to false gods when they're already knowing the true God. That's his prayer for them. And it gives him great joy to make that prayer. And then he says, he also prays that they'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness. It's not that they don't have it, because actually the way that it was originally written Paul is saying they already are filled with righteousness, but he prays that they would continue to be filled with righteousness, that they would always have Christ's righteousness. And he assures the people of Philippi that indeed they do have the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, their Savior. That's his joy, is being pray for these people. And that's the joy that we can have, too, as we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, praying, that, praying that, they, that we would all have a greater appreciation and love for all that God does for us in Christ and in his creation. We can all pray for one another that we would not fall away from the Lord, but continue to trust in him all the days of our life, remaining blameless until the day of Christ. We can thank God for the fact that all of us have the righteousness of Christ because of what Jesus has done for us when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And that's why we can have a holly jolly season. So if you start to have this bah humbug kind of feeling because you're just kind of overwhelmed by all the activities that comes along with this month of December, or if you're kind of, you know, tainted in your opinion about the month of December because of all the commercialism, then remember this prayer, these words of St. Paul. For we can truly have joy in the fact that we are partners in the gospel. We can truly have joy because, you see, we are the saved for whom Christ died and rose from the dead. And we can truly have joy as we pray for one another and for our salvation and our ongoing growth as the people of God. And I'm confident as you focus on these gifts that you will, oh by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas and even Advent this year and throughout the coming year. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.